I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Tony Dixon, one of the team of horticultural advisors here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, shrubs to add seasonal scent, shape and colour to every plot, big or small expert seasonal advice from the RHS garden team and we visit the Lindley Library at the RHS London headquarters to explore some of its unique and fascinating collections of books and images. But first let's head out into the gardens here at RHS Wisley to find out what jobs the horticultural teams are tackling this January. Hello, my name's Lucy Tate and I'm team leader of the Herbaceous Department here at RHS Garden Wisley. So January, this time of the year, we're getting stuck into cutting back our herbaceous material, things that have broken and fallen in the wet and the rain over the past couple of weeks. We're cutting back and clearing through the beds just to tidy them up a little bit. Leaving standing anything that's still looking strong, we've got our grasses on the glasshouse borders still looking good for winter interest. Another thing to do this time of year is to mark out where your emerging narcissus bulbs or any any bulbs for that matter that will be coming through naturalised areas and grass Um, if you do tread on these or mow over them at this time of year you'll blacken the heads and may even reduce flowering potential so just to be aware of those uh, new shoots appearing through because January has been really quite mild, we are weeding through our beds, making sure we're getting rid of any of those perennial dandelion weeds or even emerging annuals that are enjoying the warmer weather. So if you go in and clear now, you'll give yourself a head start when the temperatures do warm up. The best way to do this, to make sure you're careful and you're um, really going to get rid of the root, is to get in there with a big border fork and, and take out the tap root. We don't use hand forks or get down on hands and knees, just a general forking over of the area, lifting as much of the root as possible, um, removing to compost will really help make sure that you're cleaning your beds out. Bernard Boardman here from the fruit department at Wisley, where we're busy pruning all our apples and pears is one of the jobs we have been able to get on with despite the wet weather but let's let's not worry too much today about our trees that are already under control let's have a think about the trees that are out of control that are overgrown and there's a lot of interest now in community orchards and renovating old apple trees and well and pears so let's have a think about those it's very easy 
to get carried away. So stand back and have a look at the tree and think about it as a four-year project. Just take a big sip of patience because it's a slow job to get these old trees back into good production. So stand back, have a look at it. And the first thing you need to do in this first session of renovation is to get rid of all the dead and diseased wood. That's sort of fairly straightforward. You'll be able to see that. It'll be obviously dead, no buds. Cut all that out and then stand back, have a cup of tea, slow down, have a look at it and then just remove in your mind three or four large-ish branches that might be causing a bit of congestion because what we're trying to avoid is branches that are going to cross each other and start rubbing against one another and let in more infection. So have a look at it. Maybe take three or four of those bigger branches, open up the tree and then turn away and leave it for this year because if you attack it too hard it will just respond to you. There's a big old root system there and it'll fight back and you'll finish up with a lot of whippy young growth. So don't get too carried away. Nice and steady is the word. And then you come back and you do the same thing the following year. And then you can maybe start to look at reducing the height of the tree and some of the other congested parts. Now you're going to have some big wounds there and there's always a bit of a debate as to whether you should paint them or not. We don't paint them anymore at Wisley. We haven't done for many a moon. We just let the tree heal itself. And you'll see very quickly um, into next year where those wounds have started to callus over. Um, hi, I'm Peter Jones, a team leader of the Glass House here at Wisley. Good jobs to be doing in your glass house and in your, with your houseplants uh, would be to think about repotting your larger houseplants, such as citrus, uh, any kind of large potted climbers, just before things start to come into any real growth. And if it's, you feel it's not a time to repot it, as in you did it last year, a good job to do would be to top dress it with fresh compost. Also think about deadheading any amaryllis or hippiastrums that you had over the Christmas period. And while they're in leaf, uh, feed them while watering, just so that you uh, encourage them to produce a flower for the next year. Also keep an eye on any plants such as cyclamen. Uh, if they start to produce any yellow leaves, it could be a sign that they're being overwatered. So really watch your watering at this difficult time of year when the light levels are low. I'm Tony Dickerson, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Shrubs are robust and extremely useful and reliable plants. Many can be grown in containers or in difficult areas of the garden, such as patches of dry shade or poorer soils. Shrubs add shape and structure to gardens. With fragrant flowers, berries, autumn colour, foliage and coloured stems, they create interest throughout the year. Most shrubs are easy to grow and can be planted, fed, watered and pruned in similar ways, so are great for less experienced gardeners. With an enormous range of shrubs offered by garden centres and nurseries, it's possible to find ones to suit almost every garden. Lee Hunt from the RHS's advice team has some suggestions for shrubs to try and how to choose the right shrub for the right spot. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt. I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. 
I've been asked to suggest some of the best shrubs for winter. And really, there's, we are spoilt for choice here. So I've narrowed it down. I've gone for things that are scented. It's a cold, miserable time of year often. So when you do get out into the garden on a bright day and the a bit of sunshine starts to make those smells really waft through the garden. It really is fantastic. So I've chosen four different things. The first group are the witch hazels. Now, these are the wonderful sort of shrubs that often have those spidery-like flowers in ranges of yellow and gold, uh, right through to oranges and even quite bright pinky reds too. I've narrowed that down to my favourite. The first one I say is if you want the showiest for the flowers, I don't think you can go wrong with pallida. A pallida is a, a, an acidy yellow, but it shows up so well at this time of year. It has a slightly sweet but chemically overtone. So while that's definitely the best show, because we're concentrating on scent here, I'd like to push you over to another one, which is called Orange Peel. It really does live up to its name. This one has a fantastic zesty smell and crinkly orange petals as well. That They look like you've taken the kitchen zester from the drawer and you produce those little curls and they're all mounted together. So the combination of the smell and the look really are well worth investigating. It's going to be quite a big shrub, this one. You're going to buy it quite small. It's going to be about two foot, but in time, it really is going to be 10 to 12 foot tall. So it's good thinking about this almost as an alternative tree. If you imagine you're going to get that much colour out of it at this time of year, and then it's going to look more like a traditional hazel bush through the summer and then have fiery autumn colour. It's one that you could use as more of a statement plant and a bigger statement plant in the garden. For my second plant, I've gone for something that's called the Christmas box. Now, the most common one is called uh, Sarcococca confusa, which is a long and confusing name in itself, but it gets worse because my um, actual preferred one is not that, but one called Sarcococca hookeriana vardignia purple stem. Try and remember Sarcococca purple stem and you'll probably get the right thing. This is better because it is called Christmas box because it looks like box and that can be a bit plain. This one has got the additional benefits of having the purple stems so that provides interest throughout the year and the white flowers that you get at this time of year have little purple tips to them as well so it just really lifts it and makes it more exciting. It's one that you can use in a shrub border, but I've actually got this by my front door because I think it's really worth coming in at night and just getting that wonderful aroma wafting as you're trying to get the keys in the lock. It does get to about five foot high, but what I tend to do is just shorten it back if it's getting a bit out of bounds in summer. So it's easy to keep it even in quite a small garden. My third choice, well... That's Daphne Bolua. It's that funny spelling, Bolua. It's B-H-O-L-U-A. And it's something I remember from a garden I used to work in where we had a whole valley of them. And you might as well have had a T-shirt saying, what's the smell? Because everyone was asking what this wonderful scent was on the air in spring. There are lots of different choices here. There are They come in whites and pinks. There's two that I'd suggest. There's the probably the best if you can get hold of it because it's not in regular supply at the moment is one called Jacqueline Postel. 
That's an AGM variety, and it has particularly showy little clusters of flowers, and they're very sweet and scent. The one, if you can't get that to look out for, is Gurkha. And Gurkha is just a little bit smaller, and it's purplish pink, but still really good. They're expensive as well, so be prepared for this to pay from £20 onwards. They have a reputation as well, which it all sounds like it's going the wrong way, but has a reputation of being difficult to establish. But actually, I find if you just give it good garden soil, plenty of sunshine, and help it get established the first couple of summers by keeping it moist, they're really pretty easy and they, they do fine. Final choice... I imagine that honeysuckles are going to be something for summer scent, but there are sorts that are going to be for winter scent too. So this shrubby honeysuckle called Lonistra standishii is one to try. It's a, a scrubby bush, which is one of, that probably does fit better in the shrub border. But at this time of year, you get these wonderful long wafting stems, which are plastered all the way along with little white flowers, with purple tinges and they're not exactly the same as honeysuckle but they have that real uh, sweet scent and they're great if you take them off and then put them in a vase in the house as well because there's plenty of this it'll keep producing new stems it's about six foot high but again it can be pruned it's one to do in the spring so you can keep it more within bounds So there's plenty of choice there. That's just four things that you could go for. And I'm sure when you start looking around the garden centre at this time of year, you'll see more. Again, I would plead that if you're going to plant them anywhere, look at places where you're actually going to either see them easily, so from your living room windows, or places you're going to walk past, so on the way up to your house. Because that way, even in the dullest weather at this time of year, you're going to be able to enjoy it on the way home. Lee Hunt from the RHS Advice Team. You can use the online plant selector to find out more about shrubs on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk. And of course, a great place to see a huge variety of shrubs is at one of the four RHS gardens. RHS Garden Wisley here in Surrey, Rosemore in Devon and Hyde Hall in Essex or Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire. Here are some ideas of activities you can enjoy in our gardens in the coming weeks. Come to RHS Garden Rosemore on the 1st of February from 10.30am to 4.30pm for an inspiring and illustrated talk on how you can incorporate bright winter stems into your garden to liven up things in the early spring. This is a free event in the Plant Centre. Also at RHS Garden Rosemore, see a demonstration on the 5th of February from 11am to 12.30pm on the pruning of all types of roses including climbing roses, shrub roses and modern varieties. RHS experts will also cover the topics of nutrition and disease control and offer some handy tips on establishing roses. At RHS Garden Hyde Hall, take advantage of a special Valentine's cream tea offer from the 10th to the 14th of February from 12pm to 3pm. Enjoy an indulgent cream tea including sandwiches, scones, cakes and hot drink at just 9 95 per person. Add a luxurious champagne for 6 95 a glass. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at RHS. The libraries of the Royal Horticultural Society hold the world's finest collection of printed material on gardens, garden history, garden design and all aspects of practical gardening. The RHS libraries also have outstanding visual collections ranging from original botanical drawings and historical photographs to postcards, glass lantern slides, floral cards and many other fascinating items. 
Fiona Davison, head of RHS Libraries and Exhibitions, told us about some of the highlights of the collection at the Lindley Library in the headquarters of the RHS in Vincent Square in London. I'm Fiona Davison, I'm the head of Libraries and Exhibitions at the RHS Lindley Library. The RHS has always had a library um, pretty much since it was founded in 1804. So over the years, we've accumulated an amazing collection of books to the point now that we're thought to be the um, finest horticultural library in the world. We've got three branches, which are fully-fledged libraries. The headquarters in London, where we are now, in Vincent Square. We've also got a, a library at Wisley and at RHS Harlow Carr. And then we've got two small reading rooms run by volunteers at Rosemore and Hyde Hall. So we're pretty well spread across the country. There are um, close to 90,000 books and those range from very modern contemporary practical gardening books and the latest in garden writing right through to our oldest book which dates from 1514 which is uh, Pliny's Natural History and everything in between, pretty much every gardening subject you can imagine we've, we've got covered. But in addition to books and to journals and magazines and periodicals we're also the archive of the RHS and we hold original manuscript and archival material that tell the, the story of gardening and we've got a fabulous botanical art collection we have close to a quarter of a million photographs as well and we even have um, artefacts associated with the RHS so everything from medals and trophies through to um, chemical sprayers used at Wisley. Although we're a very specialist library with very special material, we absolutely aim to be open to everyone, whatever your gardening knowledge. So you can come and use our collections and browse them to answer really basic gardening questions. You know, if you've got a problem, you'll find the answer in the library. There's 500 years of accumulated gardening knowledge in here. So you don't have to be an RHS member to actually just come in and use the collection. RHS members, however, are entitled to borrow um, books from our lending collection and can borrow titles for up to a month um, and you can just come along to one of our libraries if you're an RHS member show your RHS membership card and register with us and you get a library card and then you're free to borrow well I've, what I thought I'd, I'd show you um, a couple of things just to kind of give you a sense of the range of the collection really and it was pretty hard to choose but I thought we'd start with maybe The Gardener's Labyrinth which was um, written in 1577 by Thomas Hill uh, using um, an alias which he probably thought sounded more impressive of Didius Montaigne. It's really special because it's one of the very earliest practical gardening books in English and what's really striking about it that the edition we've got here in front of us is dating from uh, 1586 so you know before Shakespeare really got going with his playwriting and yet what's really striking is it's a really practical gardening book and the advice he's giving you really applies today. He's got everything from how to tell what kind of soil you have by rubbing it between your fingers through to when to weed to be the most effective for your weeding, not to do it when it's too dry or not too wet, and lots and lots of really down-to-earth practical advice you could still use today, as well as some some things that you might find harder to do, like um, protect your seed from being eaten by birds. You should sprinkle it with elephant tusk. Quite hard to get hold of. Well, next, if we leap forward to 1739 and we've got The Curious Herbal by Mrs. Elizabeth Blackwell. And the reason I chose this is, apart from it's very pretty and it's lovely, and herbals are always interesting. A herbal is a book which outlines the medicinal properties of a plant. Um, 
this is particularly interesting because Mrs Blackwell has such an amazing story and that's one of the really fascinating things about um, our collection because it's about gardening which is about not just plants it's about people and plants you get all of these really lovely human stories and poor Mrs Blackwell she was born in Aberdeen in about 1700 and she married a badden. She married a wrong'un. Um, she married Alexander Blackwell. There's some story that she eloped. He definitely got into trouble in Aberdeen for practising as a doctor without a licence. They had to run away quickly and they fled to London, came to London and he started publishing without a licence from the Guild, got into a huge amount of debt, had to pay big fines and ended up in debtor's prison. Uh, so poor Elizabeth at this point had a child She's destitute, he's in debtor's prison. But she, in her youth, had clearly learnt how to paint plants very well and so she used this skill. She became into contact, we're not sure how, with the Chelsea Physic Garden and she started to make this herbal, this book of the medicinal properties of plants with beautiful illustrations that she did and she wrote all of the text and beautiful copper plate writing. She needed some help from her husband with the Latin names and apparently the story is she would smuggle the text and the images into the debtor's prison for him to write the Latin names in and then she'd bring them back out again. Because she was friends with people in Chelsea Physic Garden, what's really unique about this book is she's also um, describing and painting new introductions from, from America in particular, but all over the world because that's what the Chelsea Physic Garden had available. So she's, she's describing new plants. It was a huge success. She made enough money to get him out of debtor's prison but unfortunately, it's not a happy ending. He got into financial trouble again and he then had to hightail it off to Sweden and he went to Sweden and somehow he, he became the physician to the Crown Prince of Sweden, got involved in some spying scandal and was beheaded. And so all this work she did to save him was for nothing, but she remained loyal to him to the end. It's full of hand-coloured, beautiful illustrations of plants. Um, one that I'd pick out is a picture of, of a thing called the Scythian lamb, which is this rather strange, dried-up, lamb-like creature on, on one page. And actually, for, for hundreds of years, there were, there were stories that there was a plant which had a seed like a melon and that that would grow into a lamb and that this lamb would have a, an umbilical cord that would come out and would root into the ground and that this would tether this plant lamb and it would then eat the grass around the area and at the point it ate all the grass it would then die. And the evidence for this would sailors would bring back this kind of little brown shriveled thing that looks like a lamb. And, and this myth kept going and, and very reputable writers would describe the Scythian lamb or the lamb of Tartary, it was sometimes known, or the vegetable lamb. It was genuinely believed that there could be a kind of vegetable lamb hybrid. And this book has a picture of this, but Mrs Blackwell is writing at a time when, when the myth was debunked and she says, no, this is a, a dried up root of a fern covered in moss. It's not actually a living lamb. It's just been trimmed to look like one. But she does describe it's useful for curing diarrhoea, so that's handy. It's not just about the very rare and precious. We're not just interested in the things that are hundreds of years old. There are really interesting things that are everyday things um, that tell the story of gardening. And so what I've got here is um, a little diary, probably about A5 size, for 1939. And it's a gardener. I'm afraid we don't know his name, but we know who's gardening in Surrey. We've got an address in Surrey on it. It's a standard 
diary you'd buy in a shop and he's filled in in pencil every day what he's up to. But what really stands out is on uh, Sunday the 3rd of September 1939, after entry after entry of digging and, and gardening, he's got Chamberlain declares us in a state of war with Germany. And then for the next four days, every entry just reads digging dugout, digging dugout, digging dugout, until on the... Um, seventh, he says, completed dugout, and then the next day it's back to go over the borders, start mowing, and then it's straight back to, to gardening, and there's no mention of the war after that. He's dug his dugout, and now he's ready to garden again. I just think it's lovely that when a little bit of history kind of peeks through. So the really fascinating thing about this collection is it's absolutely a specialist technical gardening collection. There's um, a huge array of material about the development of plants and um, the great sweep and change in gardening style. But right the way through that are some very human personal stories of the people who were passionate about these plants and these gardens. And you can pick up so much about the wider world through understanding the way people garden. Fiona Davison, Head of RHS Libraries and Exhibitions. For more details of the libraries and to book an appointment, please visit the RHS website, rhs.org.uk. We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson, and the team here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, goodbye. down the path in my garden and have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming with a large lawn i found a simple way of making a big difference i sold my ride on mower and bought a top of the range crest robotic lawnmower it runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size the petrol mower has gone and with it the emissions i actually don't know why i didn't sell the ride on sooner with the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.